Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hi, so today on Irish Tech News, uh, we have somebody who ha- we have followed his work for a while, but it's it's actually also been a while since we've had a chat with him. Uh, and he used to be based in Ireland, but from as far as I know, it's no longer based in Ireland. So who do we have the pleasure of speaking to today? I guess that would be my name filled in here. Uh, this is Sean O'Sullivan uh, from SOSV. And yes, we, we still have a, a large presence in Ireland, uh, you know, around 20 staff. And I get back, well, in COVID times, uh, post-COVID times, I'll be back uh, at least four, four or more times a year for various meetings. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And um, you, you were based in Kinsale, I think, weren't you? That's right. I lived in Kinsale, and for for many years we had offices in Kinsale. Then we moved to the city as we continued to grow uh, for multiple operations, not just the investment firm SOSV, but also uh, uh, other companies that we're we were creating at the same time. Yeah, yeah, which we will dig into. Um, so look, I guess um, for the, for those who don't know much about you, how would you describe uh, who it is, who, who you are and what it is that you do? Well, uh, historically I w- am an inventor and an engineer and I created a number of companies. Uh, uh, I've known for having uh, created street mapping on computers. So if you type an address into your smartphone and you see you know, uh, you know that that location or how to get there. That's what we originally did back in the 1980s, and it became a public company in the 1990s called Map Info. Um, and m- many of the concepts and things that people do today are all based off of that original work. And I also, in the 90s, late 90s, coined a term called cloud computing. So that's a little bit of my sort of engineering background. These days, though, I am investing uh, in uh, deep tech startups and mostly in the hardware and life sciences space, but across a lot of different areas. And we invest globally in about 130, 140 new startups every year um, and through uh, accelerator programs as our initial sort of investment. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, definitely. I think that's a good overview. Um, okay, so um, you you guys uh, were, were, I would feel, relatively early movers for investing in tech for good, clean tech, uh, and green tech related projects. So, what wh- what was the uh, what what was your interest and the rationale for moving into this space? I would feel earlier than some. Well, I think you know I'm always sort of an efficiency nut. You know, I'm I'm an engineer, and I just love to I hate waste. Uh, I guess is one way of looking at it. So. You know, wherever you have waste, um, whether that's in how we use our energy or how we commute or how we, um, you know, how we consume products or, you know, the types of food we eat, et cetera, I'm always trying to eliminate the waste. So it's just sort of a natural, you know, kind of annoying trait that I have. But, you know, there's a lot of other people that are annoyed by waste as well. And so, you know, we, we, you know, we, we back those founders as they start their incredible companies to to, uh, you know, uh, improve the world. So, you know, some of it is just from that, uh, you know, the, I've always been, you know, interested in, in uh, climate change and, uh, and that obviously is a huge driver for everything we do these days. 
Um, so, uh, but I was investing in specifically climate-related um, opportunities uh, since uh, 2000 and I don't know 2006 or 2008 or so. Uh, I, I'd say so. It's been about 13 years, and most of the we've been accelerating probably in the last uh, six or seven years uh, in investing in climate-related um, investments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and the the nice thing is is that we're going to talk about some of the ones you've invested in. Um, just before we go to that, um, uh, it's, it's definitely a more crowded space, and and there's a lot more t people now uh, at least giving lip service to United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and other areas like that. So, do do you have to differentiate in terms of newer arrivals, new, newer arrivals who are p potentially jumping on a bandwagon because they feel it needs to be done rather than that they have a deep uh as, oh, as I, deep I think it's, it's an open party and everybody's willing to you know we're happy to have everyone come along it's a, it, the more people the better uh you know we at SOSB we're we're generally the first investor and in, first professional investor in a startup uh at through our accelerator programs hacks indie bio uh china accelerator mox uh dlab uh the, these are uh the the brands that we we attract over 8,000 new startup founders um, apply to our, our our programs every year um, under those different brands, and you know so we're you know as the first investor you know we may write a, a initial checks of say you know a quarter of a million or even a half a million dollars into these startups. Uh, we are heavily dependent on other investors also coming in and investing in these spaces. So every year, uh, you know, uh, you know, over 150 uh, other VCs are backing these same companies that we back. So we we play nicely with the the rest of the community, and uh, and we believe that it takes a, a whole world of effort to to make these changes. So and 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 we are obviously operating globally as well. So we can't be in all places at the same time. So even though SOSV has about is relatively a large firm by staff count uh, you know most VCs are you know between say four and ten people uh we we're about 120 plus uh folks in in our various locations um so we're relatively large by staff but we're not that large by the amount of money that we manage it's approaching a billion dollars which i know it sounds like it's a lot of money uh, but, uh, you know, relative to many, many other VCs that manage tens of billions, mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're relative, we, we go much earlier. So we're really dependent on, uh, later stage VCs that are, um, that are, uh, coming in and we work with a lot of them. Yeah, I, I think that that makes sense. That's well explained and also very diplomatically put. So yeah, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, um, no. I mean, the more the more people come, I don't care how late you are to the party. Just come, come one, come all. <laughs> there's a lot of opportunities, and you know, I mean, that's that. You know, there, there's a really right now. It's 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 appropriate that people weren't too many people weren't in it before and for a long time because now is where there's just a massive amount of need and things that can be commercialized at large scale. And before it was, uh, you know, there were, you know, there were efforts in this back in the 90s and the 2000s in the clean energy uh, area that were big failures. Like, I, I think, you know, people invested for every $2, they got $1 back. And that's not how VC is supposed to work. It's like 
for every $1, you want to get $4 back, you know, because mm -hmm. of all the risk that's involved in the amount of time that it takes. So, uh, you know, so we are, uh, we're in that space now where it's, it's growing, it's producing, it's returning. It's a safe, it's safe waters now for investors to come in. So the more they come, the merrier for, from our point of view. Yeah, and and like you say, I guess you know th there is the risk of being bleeding edge, but at the same time, uh, it, some of that's unproven. And and this leads me into the question: So you have the SOSV Climate Tech One Hundred, and in many ways, uh, would it be fair to say that that's a sign of, of the of the of the the, the ecosystem maturing that that you can because and you you mentioned that, that there's more companies that didn't make the top hundred. So are we seeing a, mat a maturing of green green and clean tech now? Well, I'd say, you know, it's still in its early days. I think we have the next 30, 40 years of of opportunities, you know, it's sort of especially in the life sciences area, but also in in all of these, uh, you know, energy uh, related um, ac activities. Some of them are not going to be really financed in a VC style financing. They'll be more financed in project finance, like you would do with bonds when you build a dam or, or those kinds of things. But it, it still requires the initial outlay of research uh, funding. And that happens in, on a high risk. And that requires VC uh, capital to sort of bring that to commercialization. Some re research done, obviously, by universities and other uh, governmental research labs just needs to be commercialized. And that is where the, 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 the expansion capital comes in that we're we're uh, we're helping uh, fund and get off the ground, um, and we also do that in in two ways. Like you know, when we when we're writing our first check for say a quarter of a million, or in the case of IndieBio, half a million dollars, um, we're also providing millions and millions of dollars of physical assets that they don't have to buy. We we run these sort of co-working uh, labs where you know instead of having to actually buy all the you know uh all of the you know the the kind of um polymerase chain reaction devices the genetic sequencing uh you know machines the you know centrifuges and the oscilloscopes and everything else you need to you know uh you know do various uh genetic related uh, you know um, kind of productions of biomanufacturing uh, related activities uh, they can use our facilities up until the point where they, you know, get their eight million dollar funding round, and they can go uh, buy their own and and do the next do the next um, stage of their development um, outside. So th those are ways that we get additional leverage, and and that no VC had ever really done that before. I mean, no VC actually goes and builds, uh, you know, labs for their startups. Uh, you know, so that's a, that, that was something that we did early and that had helped enable so many of these companies to get started, um, in the life sciences area. And also we do that in hardware as well, where we have, you know, like a, 70,000 square foot facility with all the pick and place machines and prototyping um, devices and, and whatnot that's required to actually, you know, machine your, your, your prototypes and to do testing against them and, uh, and all of the different things you need to do with um, plastics and, and metals and circuit boards and, and uh, power supplies, et cetera. Um, and uh, telecommunications uh, interfaces, et cetera, et cetera. So those are things that instead of the startup having to sort of, uh, you know, invest 
a million dollars or, or more in building out that infrastructure, they can rely on our our infrastructure until they get you know the next level of funding. Yeah, look, and that that makes sense. It's it's like a a massive fab lab uh, for prototyping and trying things quickly, like you say, rather than having to, to each individually get the technology. And I imagine it enables them to leverage cool things that other people have done within the programs. Um, well, it also, it also allows them to come straight from, say, you know, a university lab or wherever they were previously where they had access to this and they, you know, but but they could never actually get enough belief to, to have somebody to trust them, a first time founder, which is the majority, the big majority of our the people that we fund have never started a company before. And those first time founders create some of the most substantial uh, companies in the world. You look at Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the Google boy get kids, uh, you know, et cetera. You know, those, those are all, you know, first time founders and, you know, you know, some of the most impactful Steve jobs, you know, uh, types of founders are first time founders. So uh, giving that, getting them to give them uh, the resources that they need without having to raise all that capital from people that don't trust them with that capital until they've proven they can do something with it. Um, that's, that's a big first step uh, and a big and necessary first stage um, that uh, enables the next round of capital to come in uh, with more confidence. Yeah, and, and I guess, and the fact that you guys are also aiming to nurture uh, planet positive technologies as well it is it, all the better so with 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 the climate tech with the with the tech climate 100 um the I, i'm going to ask you uh, what are the main categories of companies in it and and do you feel do you find that th that those companies that the breakdown reflects maybe where the best opportunities and low-hanging fruit lie in terms of potential for impact and change yeah well actually the 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 five categories that we have chosen um, actually map very well to Bill Gates had a recent book um, uh, on uh, how to avoid a climate disaster that uh, just came out, I don't know, a month or so ago. Yeah. Um, and it and it matches uh, the these five different areas which uh, we break up um, as needing to 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 get from the, you know, 51 gigatons of uh, of you know, uh, global, global warming gases, uh, greenhouse gases emission uh, down to zero, which is the target for us to be able to have a, a planet that still can uh, hold human life uh, in, a, in a reasonable way uh, by 2050. In order to do that, you have to get all of these different, you, you can't just have one single shot and say, oh, we're, we're going to fix the cars and, and that'll fix everything. Nah, it won't. It, it'll actually fix about 8%, you know, of the global warming uh, gas emissions. So you really need to have a huge range of different uh, approaches. And so those five major categories are, are making things or what we would call manufacturing, um, uh, uh, growing things. Uh, manufacturing by itself is, um, uh, you know, about 31%. Uh, energy is the next highest category, making electricity. Um, and and the, the, the things that are, cause that, you know, the coal uh, plants, et cetera, are uh, generating around uh, 20, I think it's 27% or so of uh, the greenhouse gases. And then the next category down is um, growing things, which I think is around 19%, transportation, 
is 16%. Um, and uh, of that, you know, half of that is sort of consumer and the other half is sort of, you know, uh, seagoing ships and, and planes and things like that. And then the other uh, remainder is, I think, around 7% for heating and cooling of buildings. Um, uh, so it's 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 uh, we we break it up that same way on our climate tech uh, 100 list of of the companies that we have in each one of those sectors, and we are going after each and every one of those sectors. So there's hundreds of different opportunities uh, to reduce and to be more efficient, um, and and still have major businesses uh, that come out of that. Mm -hmm. So. And I think that they're all really good uh, matches for what the need are, which then makes me wonder when you make an assessment about who to invest in, is is is, is profitability uh, only a factor as well as potential for exponential good to the planet? Like, do, do you have a kind of formula that that that, that, that reflects yeah. all of those criteria? So, yeah, well, I mean, for, you know, first and foremost, you know, we, we are. We are very much mission oriented. I would say um, we have a wide range of things that we think the humankind needs, um, and that includes things like entertainment and you know, uh, you know, games and and other types of things. But in, as it relates to the the um, you know the main goals for most of our uh, investing, it's really around human and planetary health. So if we look at human health, that includes medical devices and medical innovations, treatments, therapeutics, and all of that. When you're looking at um, planetary health, we're looking at these sort of climate tech uh, categories and the sustainability of our, of our, uh, of our environment uh, by um, improving how we make things and how we grow things. Um, and so one of our most successful areas is in the area of fu future of food. Um, it's actually the most successful area that we uh, have targeted because partially because it was the most ripe for, for change. It's the right time to do it. Um, it is a major uh, category. It's, as I said, it's around 19% of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, we have uh, approaches in every other area as well, but we have a huge array of companies um, in three different waves of um, replacing um, the you know, the protein uh, that we are currently getting from animal farmed products, um, you know, anim animal meats and, um, you know, other types of uh, animal generated products, like uh, whether it's dairy products like mm -hmm. milk and eggs uh, to uh, to leather and, and other types of things, all which can actually be produced in a natural way with natural cell organisms, but just grown in bioreactors rather than uh, in the extremely inefficient uh, and greenhouse gas generating way of using animals to do it. So so we we I know that when I started talking about this like six years ago, everybody thought I was a freak and probably everybody still thinks I'm, I'm a freak. <laughs> but there are enough freaks that have joined the party uh, that, you know, including, you know, big, big folks like, uh, you know, Bill Gates and uh, Richard Branson and uh, Bezos and, and all these and all their related funds that have invested in our companies that have come through, uh, you know, our, our accelerator programs, in particular, our uh, life sciences accelerator programs, but also our hardware uh, programs. Uh, that are making these kinds of massive changes to the food industry. 
Yeah, look, I mean, and, and I hear you and, and I know what you mean about the six years ago, 10 years ago. And yet uh, our 11 year old said she wanted to be vegan and has us watching Cowspiracy. And so, you know, it, it comes from, you know, it's coming from the bottom up too. that, you know, we're being nudged by an 11 year old who wouldn't have been listening to these these things six or seven years ago. So and yet, on the other hand, it's easier to enable her to do that because there are more dairy alternatives there's more meat alternatives whereas you know i used to joke that all the vegans i saw 20 years ago just didn't look very healthy whereas yeah it's just much more possible isn't it oh yeah and and the products are actually better for you so like you if even you know uh, even like regular milk and, and listen I, I i love milk and i drink uh, regular milk um but i actually prefer the healthier uh, kind which is one of the one of our companies is Notco, which makes not milk. Um, and they're in the US, they're all over the place. They're also all over the place globally with their with their not um, with their meat products in, in the Burger King. Um, like the, uh, they're in the US, there's something called the Impossible Burger. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then in uh, in the rest of the world, and then they sell through like Burger King, Impossible Whopper, I think they call it. But in the rest of the world, they use the, our our company, Notco, uh, and they call it the Rebel Whopper or something, um, and uh, that's um, and that's a plant based uh, protein formulation. There's really three different categories of alternative protein, um, and th there are three successive waves there uh, of of the growth of new industries in the replacement of animal generated protein. One is um, the plant based proteins, which are in your fridge already probably or, or could be um like beyond meat or you know these these milk products these uh uh you know uh m soy milk or oat milk or you know whatever other source uh milk um and the, these um you know this is already happening now and it will continue for the next 10 or 20 years that, that's going to continue to grow super strong and then there's this second wave which we're you know also big pioneers in and, and probably the, the biggest pioneers are in this second wave and the third wave of protein farming and the third wave is sort of cellular agriculture so protein farming is using bioreactors in the same way we used to grow um you know insulin um you know insulin used to be taken from pigs um you know from taking a pig or or a cow at, at slaughter and then getting their pancreas and draining out the insulin and injecting in you know, uh, pig insulin into your the human body. Um, and so that kind of worked for a while, but then Genentech came out in 19, in the 1980s and quickly replaced all the, uh, you know, somewhat dangerous uh, pig insulin because sometimes the insulin would be bad or contaminated or whatever. And pig insulin isn't as good as human insulin anyway. And they actually did this uh, you know, growing the protein, the human protein in bioreactors. And that was done by these multinational uh, companies for high valuable, high price pharmaceutical grade uh, products. Now we're just doing the same sort of pharmaceutical grade type product, but it's for commodities like milk and, mm. you know, and eggs and, you know, other, uh, you know, collagen and other areas. And, uh, and that's, those, that's what the protein farming is about. Um, and that is going to, that is already there, you know, uh, you know, it's, you can buy these products, you can uh, chase these products. It's going to continue to scale for the next, you know, t for the next 50 years, uh, really. Um, and then cellular agriculture 
which is is the actual growing of the meat, um, you know, the animal meat, but without requiring a, a brain to be attached to the meat, and just growing that in, again, in specialized uh, sort of uh, bioreactors, but using all the natural processes of how meat is grown, um, just feeding it nutrients, but without requiring all the rest of the all the rest of the body um, to uh, to provide it. It's incredibly if efficient. Uh, it's not. It's expensive right now, and uh, yet you know, sometime in the next uh, three or four years, it'll be commercially available uh, in in stores. I mean, it's, it could be available right now. It'd just be more expensive than the current product. In three or four years, it'll be less expensive than the current meat meat products, and then then uh, you know, in in fifty years, uh, what you're looking at is some people will still be eating animal uh, farmed meat, but it'll be sort of like a luxury, uh, you know, uh, thing. Um, and then the rest of humankind will be using the, the more, you know, meat without slaughter approach. Um, and, uh, and that's the, and that is how we sort of see it growing out. There's a huge range of, uh, of possible uh, ways for people to play in the growth over the next 50 years of the replacement of these sort of tr trillion dollar sort of existing industrial uh, farm farming, um, animal farming um, industries. And I know in Ireland, people will be very interested about this, but I think we've already, we already know we, we've sort of hit peak cow, as people say, I forget who said that first, that's not my expression, but it's, it's quite good. We, we hit peak cow and we talked about things like hitting peak oil and other th other things. We hit peak cow maybe two years ago or, or, or so. People are still seeing growth in things like, um, you know, um, cheeses and, and, and stuff. But the milk products, uh, you know, people are not, people are using the substitutes rather than the lactose-based, you know, uh, milk that 75% of humankind actually doesn't tolerate lact lactose very well. Um, so, you know, so the, the existing products, the existing dairy products aren't even really that healthy for you. So, so that's the, those are, those are issues which are helping drive us to try to provide better options, uh, for, for people that are also, you know, uh, incredibly bad, much better for the environment, like 27 times better, uh, for the environment. You know, we're talking about massively, uh, reducing, um, you know, the greenhouse gases, et cetera. Uh, from from this, not to mention industrial runoff from, you know, uh, fertilizers and and uh, and all the other stuff. And, you know, plant plant farming will will be huge and continue to be in a major important industry, obviously. But we're hoping eventually that animal farming will be will be less reliant on it. Yeah, look, um, I, I hear you, and I definitely agree. Uh, and 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 it's an interesting one because, and yet. And, and, and I'm not disagreeing, but you can see that for some people, it's still a step of the imagination that they're not quite ready to, to embrace. Now, that doesn't mean that I do wonder in five, 10, I don't know, 15 years time that we'll look back and kind of almost be amazed. Like, I feel in some ways uh, eating meat in the way that it's produced now, we might look back in the future and compare it to smoking in terms of how, why did people do it that way? Uh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah there's, so there, there are there are a lot of health uh, risks in what we we're doing that we sort of accept as oh it's okay because but like for you know for example like if you take I mean there's I, I could really say some disgusting things which I'm sure you 
like to <laughs> say, but there's a certain amount of fecal content that is allowed in every, uh, you know, ground beef or, or, or meat product that is allowed on the uh, shelves. And the reason why that's, I mean, that's going to happen. It's just happened as part of the industrial uh, process or even any normal process of slaughtering animals. And all of that uh, leads to, if you leave them, if you leave meat out on a counter, it, goes really bad really quickly and really dangerous for you if you didn't have all that fecal content and if you didn't have you know the meat doesn't actually go as bad as quickly um, because there isn't all that that plethora of you know uh, pathogenic microbes that are in the in the gut of an animal that then will manifest itself on the you know, uh, on, on, on a meat product, uh, et cetera. So like there are actually unsafe things, you know, lactose, for example, is a tasteless, uh, sugar, uh, effectively that's built into your milk. Why? Because it's tasteless and because it's a sugar, why do you, and because people have allergic reactions and 75% of humanity to it, even if you don't know you have it, uh, it's, 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 uh, not good for m much of humanity. It's more the Asian people that have, uh, that have, uh, you know, uh, a higher rate of, uh, uh, intolerance of lactose, but there's lots of people all around the world that have a high rate of uh, intolerance. Uh, but the, you know, you know, you can take out the lactose, uh, in, you know, in a redesigned milk and it is the, it's just every bit as good for you. And it's like, you know, uh, 40% less calories or 50% less calories. So like, uh, there, there are, and not to mention the antibiotics, right. You know, that you're basically, you know, more, more than half of the antibiotics that are used on people are actually first used on, I mean, are, are used on animals effectively. And that's how we get antibiotic immunity which is build, building up in society is because the animals are e eating these antibiotics and then we get resistance uh you know of all kinds which has lots of different re repercussions uh to uh to these uh, strains that are building up etc so these these are threats to our current food supply that yes we will look back in in 50 years time and they will say wow it's unbelievable that they did that that was so stupid it's like bloodletting or, or something you know and so it's only because i mean i don't fault anyone for doing what you can with what you have and what we have right now is the, uh, a reliance on a system which is not making us healthy and you can see that looking around uh just by all the obesity that we see in society and all of the allergies that we're uh developing you know, the skyrocketing rates of, uh, you know, uh, of, uh, you know, uh, autoimmune diseases, autism, you know, uh, you know, diabetes, et cetera. All of these things are a factor in some way of the, of the food that we're putting into our, our bodies and the unhealthy way we are uh, uh, processing it. So we are looking to replace that with natural means of food production. And I know it sounds like Oh, but you know, you're doing that with bioreactors. That sounds so scary. But you know, we we we're used to bioreactors in Ireland because we we like our beer. <laughs> it's the same thing, you know. It's using natural processes to to ferment. Um, you know, it's not the exact same thing. There's a little more science to it, but uh, you know, but it is using. Uh, you know, it is. Uh, you know. Uh, a natural process, natural, the actual pro same cells that we've been eating for tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years uh, from uh, from the normal uh, foods that we're consuming today. 
um, but just trying to do it in a way that's more scalable and more healthy. Yeah, look, I think it makes sense. And, 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 and what you're almost alluding to there, there's almost the educational aspect because, you know, we're learning that, you know, like obviously uh, yeast yields many good things. Uh, pickling things is positive. And these are things that have been done for a long time to create degrees of fermentation. And it's almost a degree of education to go with uh, understanding why some things can be made in this way. Um, so, I mean, and in the situation you're in, in particular, you're at the, you're you're at the edge, at the at the cutting edge, and actively supporting some very exciting technologies. Um, at the same time, with climate change, we face some very real and very massive issues. So, uh, are you where are you on the scale between pessimistic and optimistic in terms of uh, the things that we can do to to mitigate climate change? Well, I I, I would have to say that you know I'm I feel optimistic because I'm I'm I realize everything can be done, right? We actually have, we don't have everything figured out, obviously. There's going to take dozens of years of great engineering work, you know, that's going to develop how to make these things scale, et cetera. But the, you know, the the the, the base pieces are, are there to solve all the issues. So I am an optimist uh, because I'm seeing also, you know, just a lot of momentum here. I mean, we, we you know, as you talk about the SOSB Climate Tech 100, like we, we have, uh, we've backed these companies, uh, but, you know, we don't have, you know, as I said, we have, uh, we've, uh, like we've only put about a hundred million dollars into these uh, particular uh, companies of the SOSB companies. And on top of that, there's been about $2 billion uh, that have come in from other investors to help scale that. That's like 20 times as much capital. Um, and so we are going to see an increasingly huge amount of, um, you know, uh, capability being uh, deployed across the world to bring these applications uh, you know these technologies to scale so so yes it'll happen in food it'll also happen in some of these carbon sequestration technologies which is just taking carbon out of the air and putting it into products even putting it into you know things like concrete which are normally one of the mm. worst forms of creation of greenhouse gas we can actually take concrete out of the air uh, or take carbon out of the air while making concrete rather than the other way around where it produces a tremendous amount of greenhouse gases uh, right now. Um, so there there are all, all these technologies that are coming along. We are taking carbon out of the air and making food with it, uh, you know, not for humans, uh, but for fish uh, food uh, to, to feed our, you know, the, these uh, fish uh, farms and wh whatnot. We have uh, other technologies for just um, you know, vertical farming for for shrimp and things like that, um, and uh, you know, these are there's a lot of work that's going on as well in in the energy sector. I'm extremely excited about what we're you know most people talk about hydrogen as a, as a great uh, replacement for for you know petroleum you know uh, products because hydrogen when it burns doesn't create any greenhouse gases. But the problem is most hydrogen that's actually created is created in a uh, chemical uh, process which actually creates plenty of greenhouse gases. So it's not actually a, 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 a good solution yet. But we have other companies that are using electricity, you know, excess electricity is like you'd have from the windmills at night or, or from solar power that can't, can't all be used at a, at a, in a given moment. And then converting that to hydrogen 
so that it can uh, replace our current, you know, dependence on petroleum-based uh, products, which are super bad for uh, for the environment. So, uh, in some cases, you know, electric batteries, of course, are going to do well, but you can't fly uh, an airplane with a battery, but you can fly an airplane with um, hydrogen um, and actually super efficiently. It's it's uh, it's half the weight of uh, petroleum with the same energy for the same value of uh, energy you can get out of it. So there's all sorts of, you know, incredibly promising technologies that are coming out, that'll be coming out in the, some will obviously take many years to, to happen, but, but then it will feel like it happened overnight. You know, mm. I mean, like, it's like the iPhone uh, came out. It took like, you know, a, a lot of years to get that form factor and to actually solve all the problems that, you know, that we had, and it requires some real rethinking because previously, I don't know, before before the iPhone existed, uh, the, the telephone companies never let an application run on the telephone network that wasn't in their revenue stream. Now, a Apple allowed software developers not to have to work with the telephone companies in order to develop, develop an app and put it out there. That was kind of amazing that that, that unleashed a huge waves of opportunity. And I think these new technologies are, are, um, and and the growth of the iPhone uh, industry, you know, was overnight as a result of having sort of this ecosystem that provided so much value across so many different, um, you know, uh, applications and uh, you know apps and and uh, ways that the product could be used, et cetera. And so, like, you know, th that that uh, you know, I have a daughter who's uh, 15 years old. And, you know, the iPhone is, uh, what is it now, like 12 years old or something? You know, it's, 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 it's happened. I mean, it feels like it's, it's always been this way. Mm -hmm. I mean, my daughter does not know a life without the iPhone. She's like, you know, she thought like, you know, the iPhone has existed. I remember when she was a little kid, uh, we were walking in Kinsale and she saw some pictures uh, of, you know, some old black and white pictures. And she said, uh, Daddy, when you were born, uh, you know, uh, did they have cars? You know, and I said, yeah, yeah, they, they had cars when I, I was born. But I said, man hadn't yet been to the moon when I was born. And, and, and I said, Charlotte, did you know when, when you were born, they didn't have the iPhone? And she was like, no, how could, how could life exist without the iPhone um, or the iPad? So, uh, you know, it's just these things happen and they happen over. It feels like they happen overnight uh, in retrospect. And before that, they just feel like they're magic and they're impossible. Uh, but we our, our goal is to make the impossible inevitable. Um, and that's how, and, and we only do that at SOSB by finding, you know, really crazy people who love to do really great, crazy things. And, you know, deep tech sciences and entrepreneurs that we can back to help, um, help make this change happen. Um, so, you know, that's, that's our, that's how it works for us. Mm -hmm. No, look, I, I, I really enjoyed your, your answer there. And, and, and like you say, I think people do underestimate how, how quickly uh, paradigm shifts can happen. You know, you've got this uh, shifting baseline and, and people forget that things were different and then suddenly it changes and they're like, ah, sure, we always did that. So, yeah, yeah, I hear you. And, and that is a positive way to come up to, to draw from it. Uh, but the penultimate question uh, then is in relation to this in general, what are your sources of information and inspiration? How, how do you stay up to date and ha have your finger on the pulse? You know, the, 
for me, the easiest thing is to to work with the founders. You know, they're they're my source of information. I actually I'm lucky because we have uh, you know a whole bunch of PhDs and and, and uh, you know engineers uh, that work throughout SOSV um, in supporting uh, the, the companies that are coming through, and they are also a great source of information uh, for for me as well. Uh, but uh, they pick the people who are totally cutting edge on whatever the next uh, revolution that is that needs to ha have happened. And then I get to meet those people after they've already been accepted into our programs. And then uh, I, you know, it's just, it's great for me to sort of sponge up all this knowledge direct from the source. Uh, and it's, 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 it's marvelous. You can learn so much uh, so quickly when you're talking to like, a world expert who really knows it backwards and forwards and you can just it's a it's a great experience uh for for me to to just work with our founders and i share obviously i share my experiences with them which is helpful uh for their growth and their success um so uh, it's just been a it's for me it's just a non-stop uh we have this great engine where we have these you know, 8,000 plus applicate companies that will apply to get into our programs every year. And so there's no end uh, to the to the new learnings that, that uh, we have every every day. Yeah, look, definitely. And, and like you said, and because you, you're in multiple countries too, then, you know, you, you're not just uh, in missing yeah. out on, on cool things happening in other parts of the world. That's right. Yeah. Uh, like our founders, we back founders from, I think, you know, uh, the last every fund we break it up into different sort of stats but the last uh fund i think is uh 60 different or no it's 90 different uh countries the founders come from so there it's from all over we you know we're equal uh, opportunity uh uh investor uh so uh we are are very lucky and and one thing that is also pretty cool is that as you're investing in life science life sciences we're also seeing a, a there's a tremendous uh strength in uh, for whatever reason women are spectacularly good at life sciences i don't know why uh and so we're backing it just a ton of spectacularly talented um engineers and scientists um in in the life sciences area and also in the in the uh, medical device medical devices and hardware areas um and so uh that's uh you know given us a pretty diverse view both across genders and and races and you know um and cultural backgrounds uh we have operations and you know and staff at sosv and um india and where we're i think the number four most active investor and in china where i think we're number seven um in in europe and in, in mainland uh you know we've got people in france and uh and in the uk and and uh uh, you know, about probably 15 or 20 people in, in uh, uh, Cork uh, and then in, in, in Ireland and then uh, and then the U.S. and uh, Japan and uh, uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong and Singapore. And yeah, just a lot of places. It's uh, it's all over the place We're you know, sun doesn't set on, on SOSD as people joke. <laughs> so, the, you know, I, I wake up in the morning to lots of, uh, you know, lots of new developments and things that I asked somebody to do and it's all sitting ready to already done. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a great, great way of uh, working. Yeah, look, and, and that, that, that global reach and also with uh, gender and uh, diversity, it does help to ensure that you may be solving uh, important 
challenges and also for large areas of this you know so you're not having that confirmation bias of you know just solely you know algorithms that were built by white males so that helps i guess you know to uh get out of that bubble yeah i mean i i actually i should do a a you know my my suspicion is that we are you know uh on on whether it's unfortunate or not well i suppose because of our global nature it makes sense but like here in the U.S., uh, the population of people who uh, you know are white is still it's a, still predominant. Like the black population in the U.S. is twelve and a half percent, or maybe thirteen and a half percent. I haven't seen the latest uh, census data. The the Hispanic population is um, I don't know. It's in the sort of sixteen uh, percent. The Irish, actually, believe it or not, is something like sixteen percent, uh, nearly as much as the. Uh, as much as the Hispanic population, the Germans are the biggest sort of uh, group in the U.S. by by uh, population. Uh, you know, it's like eighteen percent or something. But uh, but you know, if you categorize it all all the whites, I think you're getting around uh, sixty some odd percent white, and then you've got uh, you know black, Hispanic, Asians, uh, you know. And so, like, I don't think we're actually in. Uh, you know, uh, I think the whites are. Even though you know, uh, even though we have a lot of people who have a lot of experience, thirty years of experience, so we have some white people like myself at the head of the firm. Uh, you know, it sort of reflects what thirty years ago was working in the field. Now we're backing startups. I, I would say it's majority minority uh, at, at this stage, um, and uh, and there, certainly we're backing some great white uh, folks too. Uh, and we're not, it, you know, we're not excluding uh, people because they're white or, or anything. But uh, there's uh, there's quite a quite a range of, of people from all around the world that uh, we are, uh, you know, lucky to be able to to find and and back and support. Yeah, look, and I think the the the, the tech the hundred reflects that in a very positive way. Um, so, look, Sean, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. How can people? Uh, learn more about your work and follow what you guys are up to yeah well it's sosv.com is where you uh find uh, our mothership and then we, under indiebio.co or hacks.co for our indiebio life sciences accelerators hacks for our hardware accelerators and in asia um our uh, you know for the uh, software industry we have uh, both the mox uh, accelerator and um the um China accelerator, and so those are uh, that's sort of the range of the the ways that we invest in people. Uh, people apply to get into one of those accelerators, and then we go from there. We g give them the first checks, and then we then follow on into the subsequent rounds as and at, at bigger check sizes as as they as they progress and as they are able to find other leads. So you can find us all uh, through SOSV.com. Uh, uh, it all interconnects. Awesome. Uh, thanks again, Sean, for coming on and chatting with us. Absolutely, Simon. Thank you for so many insightful questions. It's <laughs> great, great to chat with you. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.